This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. I truly believe if you've done the work and God has called you, he will surprise you with opportunity. That's Dan Rupel, CEO of Master Media International. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. We're coming at you with another set of inspiring interviews to get your gassed up, to put your faith to work, and to remind you that there's much, 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 much more left inside of you. <laughs> there's so much more left inside of you that God would love to just have bring to light and to get delighted and surprised. We're going to save that for later because that's kind of the big right. reveal at the end, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, we are so glad you're a part of this program and listening to our show today. And we have with us... Dan Rupel, he is the CEO of Master Media International, a Christian organization that connects with the leading media executives worldwide on behalf of the Christian community. He is a producer and media strategist. He's founding member of the Christian comedy team, Isaac Air Freight, going way, way back as the grandfather, perhaps, of Christian comedy. He was a supervising producer for CBS, The Price is Right, The Late Show with David Letterman, and the 49th Emmy Awards, head of programming and development for five internet TV companies, and he served as a pastor on four staffs. He's an ordained minister, and I think we could go on and on, right, Ermi? That's right. <laughs> so without further ado, we want to welcome Dan Rupel to the podcast. Thank you so much, Larry. It's good to be with uh, you and Armin. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I know you're a busy guy as an advisor, a CEO of Master Media International. You advise a lot of media executives around the world, probably, I'm guessing. I know certainly here in the U.S., but talk about what, mm -hmm. what that's all about. Well, Master Media was founded a little over 30 years ago by Dr. Larry Poland. And Larry, what got put on Larry's heart is instead of Christians boycotting Hollywood and we saw something we didn't approve of instead of picket signs, those sorts of strategies don't really work. Number one, if it's, if it's a boycott, usually you're just bringing further publicity to what might already be a bad product that no one's going to go see except the fact that you boycotted it, so now they got to go see it, as well as kind of an attitude of hate or certainly anger, I, I should say. Um, you know, that's not the way Christ would approach people. Mm -hmm. Christ approached people with kindness, a firmness in his righteousness and his values, but it was a very loving conversation. And so that's uh, the heart behind Master Media. We connect with media leaders now throughout the world with the digital explosion, but we connect with filmmakers, media leaders, and we just try to start a relationship where they trust us, we trust them, and they want to enter into a conversation. We go in as really ambassadors, representatives of the Christian audience, the Christian community, and as we build a trust relationship, we hope that we can be a wonderful witness of the Christian faith. Yeah, that's great. And I see on the Master Media website that you guys have worked with executives from Time Life, HBO, MTV, AMC, Variety, ESPN, Hallmark, Walt Disney, and it goes on and on and on. Yes. 
what do they hire you to do? They don't hire us. First of all, we are a nonprofit, Larry. We are a nonprofit that just goes in and we say no strings attached. We would love to meet with you to talk a little bit about the almost 100 million American audience that you may not be fully aware of, especially the nuances of the evangelical audience. And if they trust us, if they think that we've approached them and we, we know a little bit about what we're talking about, they have been, God's given us great favor and they have been very kind to open their office doors and in time, their hearts to us. We've been very fortunate on that. Yeah, that's great. So how have, I was going to ask what the receptivity is. I'm guessing you're saying it's good, but what is it that they are hearing from you that resonates with them? Well, you know what it really is? It's not so much, and, and, and it is a little bit, I'll get to that in a second, Larry, of what they're hearing from us, but it's really the way we go in. You got to realize, let's say you're, you're president of NBC. From the second you walk into the office until you go home late at night, all you do is see a constant parade of people into your office asking for something. They want you to make a decision on this. They want you to green light their show. They want you to approve a script. They're always asking for something. We're the only ones (laughs) that I know of that go in and we're not asking for anything. We just say, hi, we're here. How can we serve you? How can we better acquaint you with this 100 million American audience? Would you like to know more about them? How can we serve you? And we've had many times they go, so um, what, what, what do you want from me? They'll say that. They'll say, <laughs> nothing, nothing. We just want to serve you. And if there's any way we can help. As you go back year after year or sometimes month after month, they begin to trust us. They begin to look forward to us. Sometimes they, they meet us in the hallway before the secretary even took us in. And they, they say, I'm so glad to see you. I'm struggling with this. Maybe it's in the workplace. Many times it's in their personal life. And they have given us wonderful, confidential insight into where their hearts are at. And we always end every appointment, if they'll allow us, with prayer. And I have yet, I've only been on the job two years now, I've yet to have anyone turn me down. That's awesome. And it, it kind of sounds like you're you know, a spiritual advisor or coach to some of these executives. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, you are. It, it kind of turns into that. It doesn't start that way. They see us as just consultants that are coming in and sharing with, with them a little bit about the Christian audience, which is vast. But as, it, as the conversation continues and they see that we don't have an agenda, you know, they, they really do start opening up where we become their pastors. I'm, a, I'm an ordained pastor. And so I, I quickly switch my veteran medium guy hat to my pastoral hat. And how can we love on them? How can we serve them and help them understand, you know, Christ's love for them and, and the, the Christian salvation plan? Okay, so you brought up your being a pastor. Now I, now you've introduced me to want to pull on this thread because <laughs> your background is quite varied, right? I'm, I'm yes, reading it. Yes, it is, to say the least. You're a comedian, a pastor, a producer, a media strategist, right? So. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, many of us have these kind of variety background things. and We're kind of still trying to figure out yeah. what we want to be when we grow up. But what's the common thread that pulls all that together for you? That's a great question. And I get that asked quite a bit because, as you said, you know, my, my business card <laughs> is like a volume. I think the, the common denominator of all these different things that you listed is storytelling. It all comes back to telling stories that resonate with hearts that tell kingdom truths, much like Jesus did in his parables. 
because that's what I do as a pastor. When you're sharing with somebody in a personal counseling situation, you're telling them stories of things that God did in your life that they can trust for God to do things in their lives. When you're up doing a sermon, certainly you're telling a story, a biblical story of God's involvement with his people historically. And when you're producing a film, producing a TV show, I produce a lot of television shows, you're telling a story. And certainly when I did comedy, I was, because it, it was sketch comedy, not stand up, we were telling stories. And so that's the common denominator, Larry. We're, we're, we're telling stories that reflect kingdom truths. So tell me the story or tell us the story of Dan Rupel. What are the three acts of Dan Rupel? Well, let me go back to the beginning. I don't want your listeners to be fearing that right now he's going to go into a, <laughs> a you know, <laughs> six-hour thing. But it, it's interesting. Larry, when I was five years old, I saw the Dick Van Dyke show. Now, for your listeners that aren't familiar with the Dick Van Dyke show, Dick Van Dyke plays Rob Petrie, who by day is a comedy writer on the Alan Brady TV show. By night, he goes home to his perky brunette wife, his crazy little boy, and his wacky neighbors. Yeah, Mary Tyler and, Moore, right? Being his Mary wife. Tyler Moore. Now, I'm, I'm saying I, this for on behalf of my co-host, who's probably not familiar with all <laughs> whatever. Well, I, I saw that show <laughs> at, at five or six years old. And I said, that's what I want for my life. I want to work in television. I want to work in comedy. And I want a perky brunette wife and a wonderful family in suburbia with, with lots of great friends. And God has been so good to me because all those things happened. If you saw a picture mm -hmm. of my wife, she looks like Mary Tyler Moore. Is that right? And, that's great. And, you know, I, I worked the first 15 years of my career in comedy. I worked the next 10 years at CBS working in television. And what I didn't see coming is in 1977 that Christ would, would apprehend my heart and bring me to, to faith, which brought a whole new purpose to everything I do in comedy, in, in, uh, in my family, obviously, as well as in media. What happened in 1977? Well, I had formed a sketch comedy group. I actually formed it in high school. I was about 16 years old, a junior in high school. And I formed this comedy improv sketch group. This is before the days of Saturday Night Live. For you, again, that are the younger generation, you don't know a time when there wasn't Saturday Night Live, which premiered in 1975. But prior to that, we started playing high school assemblies. And we were doing pretty well. And I got this bold idea to steal your, your title. Mm -hmm. I said, why don't we drive up to Hollywood and play the comedy clubs? And my partners thought it was a little wacky, but they were game. And so we did that. And I was 16 at the time, so I had to lie about my age. I had to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 21 because, you know, <laughs> they serve alcohol in those clubs. <laughs> right. But anyway, this went on, Larry, into my college years. And we were starting to really do well. We were being considered for this new show. They were getting ready to launch Saturday Night Live. We were performing with Lily Tomlin. We were performing with people that went on to Saturday Night Live. And we were making quite a name for ourselves. In 1977, I was alone in my bedroom. I just kind of felt, I'm empty. There's, there, I don't know why. My career's doing great. I got great friends. My life's good. I'm empty inside. Mm. And right then, I heard this inner voice say, read your Bible. 
Well, I had a Bible because my parents made me go to VBS <laughs> mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So I dug it out and all I remembered from Sunday school or VBS was that the red part was what Jesus said. So I thought, I want to hear the most red part. So I just went thumb through the Bible quickly to find the most red. And I found the Sermon on the Mount. It's pages and pages of red lettering. Mm-hmm. And I, all I got through was the very first sentence. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I just crumbled on the floor sobbing. And I said, that's my problem. I'm bankrupt in my soul. I'm empty inside. That night I asked Christ to come into my life. And now I had a dilemma. I had this comedy group, which you can understand the kind of, or imagine the kind of content we were doing Mm -hmm. in comedy clubs. And I had to quit. It wasn't in line with my new faith. So I show up at rehearsal, three-man group. And I said, hey, before we rehearse tonight, I got to tell you something. Since the last time we got together, I became a Christian. And I'm going to quit the group tonight. And I turned to my one partner, Dave Toole, and he said, well, since the last time we got together, I became a Christian. <laughs> and I was going to quit the group tonight. And then I turned to my third partner, Larry Watt, and Larry says, well, since last time we got together, I rededicated my life to Christ. So oh, we said, hmm, maybe God's up to something. So right then and there in my rented little old house, we said, let's see if we can do what we didn't even know the term, Christian comedy. And we launched into it. This is kind of the middle part of the Jesus movement, where there was a lot of Christian Jesus groups coming out, Christian Mm -hmm. contemporary music coming out of Calvary Chapel. And Calvary Chapel said, hey, if it works for music, let's try it with comedy. And so we launched, and that was the beginning of our comedy group called Isaac Air Freight. And we went on and did that for the next 15 years. Wow, 15 years. Yeah. That's insane. How are you received by the Christian community? Overall, I mean, really, really well. It was like, and, and you, you got to understand the times. This is 1977. The church was still, even though the Jesus movement was moving and bubbling and percolating out, it was still a very conservative church. Some of them wouldn't allow electric guitars. They, they would only have organs for music, you know, they, some very straight laid choir robes, etc. And it was like the Christian body was dying to laugh. They just wanted to <laughs> laugh. So they embraced this. They embraced, sometimes they would go so crazy with laughter, they're literally rolling in the aisles. And I'm not talking about a Pentecostal thing. I'm talking about just <laughs> laughing. And I remember one time we were playing in San Diego, we got backstage and I said, they're laughing so hard. If we do this next sketch, someone might have a heart attack. We better cut it, you know? <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was the, primarily the response. We sold so many records, they just, they were hungry for it. But there was a few that just didn't get it. I remember one time we were doing a concert in Long Beach. It was a very conservative, older generation church. And we start our program, dead silence, not one laugh. They're not laughing at anything. And when you're doing a comedy show without laughter, it goes pretty quick. Right. And so we're we're backstage saying, hey, <laughs> just cut the next skit. You know, start packing the trunks. Let's get out of here with our lives. And so we we kind of do an abbreviated show. We finish. We say goodnight. We're packing up the final stuff. And this older man comes back to us and he says, that was the funniest thing I have ever heard and seen in my life. <laughs> what? And we said, well, that. wait a minute. Why? 
why, why didn't anybody laugh? And he said, you're not allowed to laugh in church. Mm. Wow. And we thought, boy, I wish they would have thought that through before they hired a comedy group. <laughs> but so we got a little bit of that. We got it all the way to the extreme of the spectrum where they thought we were being sacrilegious or blasphemous. I remember one time we were doing a radio interview in Albuquerque. We, we had a huge night. We'd sold out like 4,000 tickets that night, a huge thing. And we got on the radio to talk about, hey, we're here in town. And I remember a lady getting on and saying, you're demon possessed and God's trying to do a revival here and, and you're going to quench what the Spirit's doing. So we invited her. We invited her to the show and put her in the front row and she absolutely loved it. And she came up in tears afterwards. She goes, I missed it. I missed it. This was so God honoring. And I just had the most joyful night in memory. So wow. anyway, it was just, it was, it was a great season of my life. You know, comedy is a great way to cut through to people and it, get it their sure defenses is. down. Sure and, is. Now, it so sure. you moved from comedy then to the pastoring role or well, no. before we go oh, no. there, hang on, okay. hang on. Right. I, I, right. I'm curious because you're talking about speaking to an older generation and now you are the older generation. Yeah, I sure am. <laughs> what, what has that transition been like for you? Have you seen any big changes in the Christian faith? In the Christian faith or in the like the Christian media world? or, or Either. I'm, I'm just curious what changes you've seen in general in the world from a Christian or secular perspective. Well, that's a, that's a big question, Armin. That's a really big question. First of all, I believe generally in America, we are really quite a bit down the road in, in a post-Christian culture. We are not the, the majority ideology or belief or worldview anymore. We have a much more diverse landscape of beliefs and even within the Christian body. Also, the digital revolution, which really hit in all its power in, in 2005 when YouTube was launched, it changed everything. It was the game changer. It's in, in media, in connectivity, in global reach. It just changed everything. So now that opens the door to a lot more diversity of ideologies, belief systems, but also it gives us a wonderful opportunity to connect with people. I mean, my, my son, who's also a pastor, he was in Jerusalem about six months ago, and here he is, you know, FaceTiming with me as he walks the streets of Jerusalem. We didn't have that kind of connectivity 20 years ago. So we're seeing a lot of different changes in our world, and certainly with media. We've gone from a broadcast media to a narrowcast media, where Hollywood is looking for niche audiences to, that they're really sometimes really, you know, looking for this segment of our population saying, hey, this show will appeal to them. I think they're the most underrepresented demographic is the Christian demographic, which makes up maybe half of America. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight to a very, very big audience or a question. Yeah, no, it definitely does. But in terms of media strategy, do you ever find yourself advising the Christian stations or productions on how to be more relevant to younger ages or to secular audiences? Yes. Prior to me taking this position at Master Media, I served as a consultant to Christian organizations, Christian universities, and Christian denominations. And what I was basically trying to do is bring them into the digital age. A while back, they were still doing, you know, really old school television shows, very old school film 
and had no idea what what social media or digital media was all about. But it, it isn't enough to just get a Facebook page. <laughs> right. You have to realize that we have a different world now. And especially if you look at the millennial generation, they interact, they connect on a whole different level. I started doing a series of seminars. In fact, I, I was trying to turn it into a book and then Master Media called and I got a little bit sidetracked, but I started doing a seminar called Analog Shepherds and Digital Sheep. And I would talk, I would talk to pastors and Christian leaders about the disconnect mm-hmm. by and I'm just using the analogy of analog shepherds mm-hmm. and digital sheep, but it's like, no, you're talking two different conversations. You're ta- using two different vernaculars. You're approaching it two different ways. Let me give you a good example. My generation, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. I'm the TV generation. The way I consumed media was at eight o'clock on a Thursday night, I would walk in. I had an appointment with my television. I walked in kicked back on my barca lounger, turned on the TV, and I very passively received a one-way monologue, which we call a television show. When it's over, I clicked off, and I very passively walked out of the room. Very low level of interactivity, of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. Okay, the digital generation they are 24-7, whenever, wherever, engaged in a multi-voice, interactive dialogue, a conversation. It's a whole different connectivity, a whole different dynamic. I think the way we consume a generation consumes media informs us a little bit of how we should do church, or particularly how that generation might want to do church. Now, I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not saying do away with sermons because that TV model is kind of how we do church. We, at an appointed time, let's say 10 o'clock on a Sunday, we passively walk in, we sit in our pew, and we receive a one-way monologue, which is called a sermon. That is not the way the millennial generation is going to connect to communications or information or content. So, Again, I'm not saying throw the baby out the bathwater, stop doing sermons. What I am saying is why not have your cake and eat it too? Why not have that model? That's a wonderful model. People need to hear a sermon. They need to be taught in the Word. They need that worship, congregational work, worship experience. All that's wonderful. But why not add a little bit of open-ended questions at the end of your sermon? What we did in our church is I was, at the time— pastor of our home groups, and we had a very high participation rate. It was up to 70% of the church was in home groups. And what we did is the pastor, who was a millennial pastor, he still is today, he would close his sermons with a few open-ended questions saying, hey, drill down on this in your small group. Look at this a little bit more in detail and apply it to your life in conversation. So we would meet in our home groups and we'd say, okay, we talked about such and such. How do we apply that? What does that mean? Let's drill down on it. What does it really mean for our daily walk with Christ? And so those are the kind of models that I think the church needs to engage in. And and thankfully, they really are. They really are. We've come a long ways. When I started doing that seminar, it it was five to 10 years ago. I'm seeing many changes for the good in the way the church is embracing the millennial generation 
and opening up more of a conversation rather than a monologue. Oh, that's good. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, this is a special episode in my heart because not only the topic, but we have the generosity of our listeners that are making this possible. That's my favorite sponsorship so far. If we could get our podcast sponsored by our listeners every time, it would make my day because there isn't a greater compliment that we could possibly receive than that. Oh, totally. And, you know, we love our business sponsors as well. But right. there's something when you as an individual decide, hey, I'm going to invest in this because I'm getting something from it. That's right. And this is a passion project for us. It's not like we get paid for this. So anytime we see people investing in us, it means the absolute word to us. So thank you so much for doing this. And if you want to see this continue to happen, please just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate and make your investment there. And this is a tax deductible contribution. (laughs) We're always needing to not keep the same old wineskins, right? And to, mm-hmm. and to find new ways to express that. I love how you put that. I want to come back to the question I was asking you about with your own story, because I think we got sidetracked a little bit there. And I'd like to hear about what's kind of next for you as you as you kind of look at how God has moved you through quite a number of different <laughs> expressions yeah. of this storytelling self, the comedian, the pastor, the producer, the media strategist. Where do you see God taking you? What is what what are the vision things that you have for yourself? That next bold idea, perhaps that God might be stirring in you. I think it's it's within Master Media, the organization that God's called me to. We had a little bit of dilemma with Master Media for the thirty years. I referenced Dr. Larry Poland launched Master Media. For those thirty years, what he had to do, his challenge was to go to New York, go to Hollywood, knock on the doors of the broadcast networks, as well as the film companies, and try to get an appointment with the CEO. That all changed in 2005. I believe that with the digital revolution, which kind of, it was the democratization of, of, of the media, suddenly everybody on the planet has a film studio on their phone, and they have access, a megaphone, to the world through the internet. So everyone can become a broadcaster or become a filmmaker. And it became a democracy. What that did is it made traditional Hollywood, which has not gone away in the in the least, but it made traditional Hollywood give birth to what I call three other Hollywoods. One, the global Hollywood, which China is a huge player now, but we're seeing global media happening all over the planet. Second of all, digital media, of course. That's the one where anybody can be a media mogul if you can find enough followers and viewers. And then third, the independent film movement. A lot of people who aren't very media savvy or aware of the media don't understand the power and the influence of the independent film world. And when I say that, I'm saying the independently made films, usually lower budget, the kinds of films that we see at the Sundance Film Festival. For the past 14 years, my wife and I are part of a group that takes 135 Christian film students to the Sundance Film Festival every year for a conversation of faith and film. What happens there is we see that Hollywood comes, they come, HBO, the film companies, Netflix, they come and watch these films to find out where the next talent is, where the next trend is, 
And often the Sundance film winner of today becomes the Academy Award winner of tomorrow. Now we have this omnipresent media world. And how do I connect with all of them in this global landscape? Mm. So what we're doing currently, and I'll land the plane on this. I don't want to get too, I don't want to bore your, your listeners. But what we're doing currently is Master Media is a one-to-one ministry. We form relationships one-on-one with people. But because of the expansion, we're launching a digital initiative to go one-to-many, where we have more and more credibility, more and more followers, more and more input, where it will facilitate more one-to-one connections and relationships with media leaders in any form, be it a guy who has a YouTube channel or somebody who's president of HBO. So that's the next big thing that I'm working on big time and yeah, I'm excited that, about. Well, it sounds like a huge scaling challenge that you're gearing up to address there. It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. So you've been in the entertainment industry for 40 years or thereabouts, yeah. right? Um, yeah, about. Yes. <laughs> not to not to peg a age for you, but but you know, just about 40 years or so. When you look back at all that you've learned along the way, what would you give as advice to somebody who might be looking to break into the entertainment mm-hmm. industry and, and especially a person of faith that wants to say, I, I want to maintain my integrity and I want to, to, you know, follow the Lord's leading. I believe that he's calling me into this industry. What advice yes. would you have for them? I give them a very small phrase and then I'll unpack it. I say, prepare to be surprised, prepare to be surprised. Prepare, hone your craft, learn the skills, get some experience, form your network. You need a network, a support system of of fellow believers. Build your network, make your connections, write your scripts, direct your reels, whatever it might be. Get your ducks in a row. Don't just go up there and say, I want to be the next big thing here. Give me give me a hundred million dollars. I want to direct the next Avengers movie. That's not going to happen, of course. So what you need to do is be prepared. So when that opportunity comes, you're ready to walk through that door. And then I say surprise, because I truly believe if you've done the work, if you've done the work and God has called you and placed on your heart a burden to enter into the media world, he will surprise you with opportunity. You've referenced how many different incarnations I've had of a career. Every one of them surprised me. I didn't see the comedy road coming. I didn't see that I would be the supervising producer of Price is Right and David Letterman. I didn't see that. I didn't see I'd be pastoring. I didn't see I'd be consulting. I didn't see I'd be CEO of Master Media. All these things happened. God surprised me with opportunities because I worked and worked and you know put together my projects and I was ready for it. Mm. I love that. It's easy to remember and <laughs> quite powerful. You know, but I, I feel like so many of us want to just be surprised. We don't want to do the preparation part. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. You know, the the entryway to Hollywood, and I just use that as a generic term for media, the entryway is through excellence. They don't really care, you know, that, that oh, I really want to be the next big director. They want to see excellence. They want to see that you've really done your homework. And they want to see a real servant's heart. You know, the media is hard work. I remember one time I was supervising producer on a a magic special for CBS. One of the tricks 
illusions went wrong. And it took like three hours to reset it. So we were still shooting at four in the morning. And I was so tired. And I was literally laying on the floor of the CBS studio soundstage. I was laying on the floor with the executive producer. And we were just going like, wow, I'm so exhausted. But we got to get this shot. And I thought right then, I am so glad that I like every single person on this 100-person crew. Mm. Because this job would be a bear if they were a real jerk. Right. <laughs> you know, those are the people they're, they're looking for. They're looking for people who want to make their job easier, who want to be a servant, that are really displaying the attributes of a Christian, kind, uh, truthful, high level of integrity, honest, trustworthy. They want those kinds of workers. So you know, go for it, go for it. I want to encourage, I love talking to Christian film students. I love saying, go for it. God needs many, many more Christian voices within the media ranks. Well, that's a great, that's a great place to land this interview right there, because I do agree with you. We need to be salt and light in every corner of industry and society and no less so than where you're playing right now, Dan. So I thank you for that. And thank you for appearing on our podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I sure appreciate both of you. Yeah, and is there some place that our audience can get a hold of you if they want to learn more about Master Media or about what you're doing? Yes, please go to our website. It's mastermediaintl.org. That's mastermediaintl, short for international, .org. And you can find out more about us as well as subscribe to our newsletter or our e-newsletter, also, our daily prayer calendar where we pray for media leaders on a daily basis. Oh, wonderful. I'll have those links in our show notes for our audience as well so they can get to it very quickly. And Thank Dan, you. thanks again for appearing on our podcast and taking the time to be with us today. So appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a joy. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Okay, I mean, that was Dan Rupel. So, what do you think? You got Mr. <laughs> Comedian turned. Uh, producer turned pastor you know i i love a guy who's gone through a lot of transition like that you know i just like you yeah well i can really identify with that and what i love is that he you know when i asked him what is the common thread he just he he nailed it right away you know there's a story yeah Yeah. and that that was the thing that that kind of keeps him going you know i meet a lot of people I think you're this way too because you also have had a lot of careers, oh, right? Sure, yeah. yeah, including criminal. And I'm yeah, right. <laughs> you, you, you've really gone. The, you yeah. know, and, and if you're if you're a so, relatively new listener to the Bold Idea podcast, you probably want to go back to episode one and get some of our means. Well, and you can get my background as well. But our means is particularly interesting because of the swing from the criminal world <laughs> to the Christian world. But. It's a good way for me to lose all my credibility. <laughs> yeah, so, so. Oh, he was a criminal. They just, I don't uh, they just stopped. Anymore. They just stopped listening. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna miss what we're gonna say because this is good stuff. <laughs> you know, I meet a lot of people who have made a variety of career changes, and one of the things that I really appreciate about a book that I read some time ago called "Refuse to Choose" by Barbara Sher. Now, one of the things that she points out in here is that she meets a lot of people as well as you know, like us, mm-hmm. <laughs> and perhaps like Dan. And what she says is, you know, when you go from one thing to the next, it isn't because you've lost attention span. It's because you need to think about yourself as a honeybee, mm-hmm. and a honeybee lands on a flower, and it it leaves after it's got its nectar. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
what is the thing that causes you to then leave to something else because you've gotten your nectar? You know, mm. so when you find yourself just going from thing to thing to thing, it isn't that there's something wrong with you. It's that you got what you wanted out of it, mm. and now it's time to go get that nectar somewhere else. Right. And Dan's nectar is story. You know, when we asked right. him about that, that's what it what it was. You know, that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Now, as we were listening to him, though, I mean, I, I, I kind of felt like there was a parallel, what can I say, story going on. Yeah. Because while we were talking about his story unfolding and we didn't quite get into all of it, you know, I think probably would have taken quite a bit longer, but he was also referencing all the disruption that was going on in the industry at the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot about all the things that were happening, you know, not just in the industry, but even in the Christian faith in Christian faith. And, but also in, you know, in digital media and all the disruption there as well. And so in many ways there was kind of this parallel, his trajectory mm-hmm. kind of parallels what was happening in the industry that he mm. was in at the same time because while he was moving from one wine skin of comedian sure. to another wine skin of pastor to another wine skin of leader of master media international then he you know he also talked about how the industry was being disrupted in how it delivered content right. and and entertainment and, and I just found myself thinking about what is happening in our lives from a higher level? Hmm. You know, because we often get so focused into the, here's what's happening to me right now. Right. And we don't take a more, as he said, the common thing for him was story. We don't take a transcendent view to say, what is my nectar? What is the thing that connects the things for me through through each of the incarnations of what I do? Hmm. And I think when we start thinking that way, it's very freeing. Right. Because you can start to say, well, I don't need to be locked into the role that I've been hmm. in my in my last incarnation. If I really understand something about myself, I can move into a bold idea in another form. Right. It's not the form that matters. Hmm. You know, it's what's underneath that. It's the thing that you're delivering. In his case, the form took a variety of forms, but the substance was story for him. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I think my generation is notorious for that especially when it comes to job hopping and it's one of those things that we are frowned upon for doing and rightly so for many reasons but we never hear the other side of it which is it could be a good thing so i think you have a generation that wants to do that but more and more is being discouraged to do that because now you look like a failure. You look like you're incompetent, immature, unreliable, fill in the blanks because there's a huge list of negative terms that get thrown at us. You know, and I was reading an article not too long ago. Well, maybe it was a little while back now, but they were talking about that very same thing. I mean that the older generations, you know, my generation and probably older even. Yeah. We're so used to showing job stability as, you know, the favorable characteristic, right? right. So you want to be, you know, showing that you're <laughs> in a job for 20 or 30 years. Right. That makes you a good employee. But I was reading this article about how that trend is almost reversing and it can be working against you. In fact, I believe the article was referencing Microsoft and their hiring practices are looking for people that have been 
at quite a number of firms because mm. they want to show that that person is adaptable, mm. that they pick up different things. You know, obviously you probably don't want somebody flighty, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, because there'll be a flight risk for your firm too. Right. But they wanted somebody who could show that they were willing to take risks, they were willing to move into new areas, they were willing to try new things. And I think in some of those corporations that have to move relatively quickly, hmm. they'll move people around. And so they want to know that they're not impervious to change like that, that the, the hmm. disruption that goes on in their life that they're able to deal with. And I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what we heard from Dan is yeah. that a, we got disruption in the entertainment industry and you could say it's in publishing in a lot of different places. The sure. internet's been disruptive for a lot of industries, oh, but gosh, yeah. clearly in entertainment, you yeah. know, we've all seen that. And, and at the same time, Dan's kind of been personally disruptive in his own career incarnations. Right. And I, I guess I just I could identify with that. I just felt like that was really, really kind of cool. I think from at least my generation's perspective, it's not that I speak on behalf of my generation. Just being a millennial, I think it's refreshing to hear perspective of the many changes that have taken place throughout someone's life and throughout someone's career being a positive thing, especially coming from people like you and Dan that are credible and have seen success, I think it's just a refreshing perspective that we don't often get to hear. And I wish that my generation could hear more from you and Dan with that specific perspective, because we just don't get to hear it. Yeah, I think when we don't think about this bigger thread that's in our lives, so we can get discouraged because we can think, oh, we're just like a pinball you know we get right. bounced around by the latest buzzer or flipper that happens to hit us you know and right. who knows where that's going to take us next yeah. you know and and yet i don't think it's quite that haphazard i do think that god has some things that we find ourselves to be wired to do and responsive for more responsive we resonate at certain frequencies and i think that that really is finding that frequency and what it is that causes you to resonate is kind of the key objective there agreed but you well, know one of the things armin that i found most helpful in, in listening to Dan was right at the end of the interview when he said that simple sentence, you know, prepare to be surprised. Yeah. I just, good. I just loved that because yeah. a it's simple and, and it really is, you know, it, it really enforces two things. One is, is preparation and also just the magnificence of God's ability to surprise you is something beyond what you could ask or imagine. That's right. Back to Ephesians 3.20. That's right. Yeah. Dan, I think he's someone we just need to have on again because I, I think we tried to squeeze too much into too little time and he's got so much more to share. I agree. So I, I think that there's, a, there's an onion there that we just maybe got through the first layer yeah. and there's so much more depth with Dan. I agree. Yeah. yeah totally. Well, Maybe we'll accept another invite and he'll be back again. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would think that would be great. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this program and that you got something out of our conversation with Dan and certainly maybe given some thought about your own trajectory and your own career and the bold idea that you have. We would sure love to hear about it. Any questions or comments that you have, could you direct them to us at boldideapodcast.com slash 31. That's where you'll find our show notes, the link to Dan's webpage and his company, and you can learn more about Dan there as well. Or if you'd like, leave us a comment on our show line at 612-568-IDEA. 
That's 612-568-4332. And, you know, as a listener to the Bold Idea podcast, we know that you have plenty, thousands and thousands, billions and billions of podcasts that you can listen to. And we're just so glad that you've chosen ours. Would you take a moment and just let us know that you've left a review for us on iTunes? You could do that quickly by just going to boldideapodcast.com slash review. We'll explain everything about how to leave a review. It's very simple, and it really helps us out a lot to get the word out about our show. So thanks again for listening, and this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.